Hello everyone and welcome to the Grumpy Surfer podcast. I am the Grumpy Surfer and your host, Ads Lyson. Before we get started, Ombi are our sponsor. So if you want to get involved with the best surfing technique program on the internet, go to Ombi, O-M-B-E dot co forward slash ref forward slash Grumpy Surfer to get 10% off your programs on the Ombi Surf website and have a look at some of their programs. The 12-week program is their main program that they're running at the moment and it's absolutely amazing. It's helped my surfing out, my technique, the way that I look at waves. Absolutely amazing and they've got some really cool stuff in there like cardboard surfers, surf skates, anything you can think of that involves surfing, Clayton and Ant and their team have covered. Pretty special. Okay, today on the podcast, I have a pretty exciting guest. She was a US Coast Guard and a former CIA intelligence officer, and it is a surfer. And she has just written a book, which is pretty special as well, and you can get on Amazon, and it will be in the links and in the blogs on the relevant podcasts that you listen to this to at the bottom. So just have a little click of that, and it will take you directly to her book. So please enjoy my conversation with an amazing woman, Caroline Walsh. Caroline Walsh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Three questions before we start. How are you? Where are you? And what have you been doing today? All right. I am good. Um, Good enough. And I'm in San Diego. I'm at the University of San Diego. And my day has been nice. I work at the university at the Military and Veterans Center and just have had some good conversations with students today. And yeah, it's just been a good day. What do you do at the Veterans Center? Uh, so I'm the assistant director of our Military and Veterans program. So we put on like graduation um, just different programming for veteran students throughout the year, since it can be kind of isolating being a veteran on campus with a lot of younger folks. Uh, what sort of programs do you run at the Veterans Center? We do like career mixers where we bring in people from the community. Um, we do like a big Veterans Day and the US Our Veterans Day is in November. So we do a big ceremony for that to like bring awareness of the veteran population to other people on campus. Um, and we do a big graduation at the end of the year for military connected students. That's pretty cool because I don't we, we don't really have something like that over here. Um, I'm coming to the end of my service at the moment. I've just done 22 years and I'm, uh, I leave in May, basically. Um, we, we do have like, you know, the, the British Forces Veterans Society. There's probably about three or four different veteran societies, but I don't think there's anything specifically set up that has a, a, a particular program uh, like you guys do, which, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, it's nice. I think Every school here is a little different, but where I'm at University of San Diego is really trying to grow the Veterans Center because they know it's important to help veterans connect with each other as they navigate campus after, you know, some people are coming in to school to do their undergrad after 22 years. So just trying to give them a community on campus 
Um, so yeah, they do a good job here. What sort of things do you, do you see veterans coming in to, to do at the university? You know, what sort of courses do they, do they sign up to? What are the most, um, what are the most popular ones? So we have a lot of students in the engineering program. Um, a lot of engineering program, uh, I'd say a couple like bio, like biology. We have like, we have definitely have a variety, but I'd say engineering and business are probably our biggest ones um, as, as far as the people who come into the center and talk about, you know, what they're doing. I think a lot of the, the guys that leave the military, we have, we do have some form of, um, we do have some form of, like pathway to, to leave it's through a, a career transition partnership um, but it's like a, a civilian company that is kind of contracted into the military where they decide um, you know what courses and it's and it's kind of like a list of courses that are on there and we get like a certain amount of money to be able to to fund that through um, but anything that isn't on those on that list you you can't you can't really do and it's very much more like tradesmen sort of things you know like uh, a bricklayer an electrician a plumber um, health and safety is quite a big thing as well so they, they do like a, a lot of health and safety courses and uh, yeah when, when I looked at those courses I was like it didn't really appeal to me that much you know I mega into my surfing and my jiu-jitsu and it, it was kind of like I, I really don't want to do that I can't see myself sitting underneath a kitchen sink you know, for the next 15, 20 years, you know, pulling other people's crap out of the sink. It, it didn't really, it didn't really appeal to me that much, you know? Yeah, it's definitely tough. Um, yeah, I guess we're lucky here that, yeah, some of our benefits are, are really open. You can, you can really figure out if you can go to school, you can learn to fly a plane. Um, you can get an art degree. So yeah, sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's hard for people to decide what to do. I like to fly a plane. I wish I had that opportunity. <laughs> Pilot's license, yeah. So one of the reasons why I asked you onto the podcast was uh, Ash from the Blue Pigment podcast said that you'd be a good person to talk to because you know the combination of what I what I talk about on the podcast is is pretty cool. And um, you initially signed up. You were in the Coast Guard and you were in the CIA within the intelligence community, re-signed back up to the Coast Guard. Um, and you've also written a book as well, which is which is pretty cool. You talk a little bit about how you came to join the Coast Guard. Sure. So, yeah, that's actually a surfing story. Um, we love surfing stories yeah. here. <laughs> right? This is the right place for that. <laughs> Uh, so I, w I was going to school in California uh, in Ventura and my two friends, the three of us, we all went surfing and played soccer. That was like we did school on Fridays. We surfed in the morning, we played soccer and then we'd surf at sunset. So uh, the, they went surfing once and I think I was working and they came to my job after and they're just like, hey, we ran into a Coast Guard recruiter in the water. We're joining the Coast Guard. And I was like, what is, what is the Coast Guard? What are you talking about? And they're like, yeah, you do, you do 20 years, you live by the beach and then you retire. So we're doing it. And I was like, okay, like, let me think about this. Um, so I ended up going and talking to the recruiter and he took me surfing at Point Magoo, which 
there's one break you can only get to if you have the the military card so he took me on the exclusive military surf break and you know just talked talked up the coast guard and I did a lot of thinking and I, I figured out, you know, I was doing a degree in psychology and I was like, well, you know, doing Intel would be really cool. And, um, you know, I would, the, the economy had just tanked is like 2009. So it was also like, you know, I do, it would be nice to have, you know, a little bit of support and predictability. And so between that and the appeal of living by the water, I, I eventually signed up. Actually, I, I almost missed it because I was just so I was really trying to make a decision. Um, but yeah, I got in and the three of us went to boot camp together that summer. Is the Coast Guard part of like the military or what you would call the what we would call like public service here where, you know, it's a combination of like the police, the fire service, the military. Is it is it in that combination there? It is. So it's under our Department of Homeland Security. Okay. And then it's it's also connected to the Department of Defense, um, just because we end up working together so much. So uh, it is nice that, yeah, in the Coast Guard, we do get all the defense, like um, education benefits and, you know, access to the, the commissaries, the grocery stores and everything. So, um, yeah, it's a little bit of both. So the first time I really heard about the, the Coast Guard and, and how it was involved with that military connection was I remember the film in 2006 that came out with Kevin Costner and uh, Ashton Kutcher the Guardian and I was like that's amazing but uh, the the Coast Guards that are associated to the UK are all very uh, charity based um, the uh, the RNLI but yeah like the lifeboats and stuff it, it's all it's all really charity and um yeah, sometimes they, they really struggle with things like just boats and um, even getting people to be part of the Coast Guard itself or, or the um, or the RNLI can be can be quite a struggle because there's one local to me down here in Exmouth. Uh, I, I live down by the coast and uh, it's an amazing centre, but it's only been up for about the last 15 years. And I can imagine getting funding for those sort of things, especially in the economy that we're in at the moment, can they can struggle quite a lot. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, we're the smallest service. Like there are more New York City fire or police officers than there are Coast Guard across the country. So yeah, it's definitely a small service. And we've like transitioned to we used to be under the Department of Transportation. And then like, back in the day, we were, you know, doing like prohibition when they banned alcohol, like busting that. Um, so yeah, it has a, it has a long history and not clearly under any department for you know for very long. You talked a little bit about surfing before. Let's have a little talk about that. So you're obviously from California originally. So how how did you? In fact, no, you're not, are you? You're not from California originally. I mean, yeah, I was born inland in California, and then I grew up in uh, the Midwest in Ohio. Okay, that cool. was my grade school high school experience yeah so how did you get into surfing itself um so we would go on vacation to the east coast we go to north carolina every summer for two weeks and i just i wanted to do it and my, my dad's from san diego california so he got me aboard he got me and my brother boards we went out on the water and I'd go out and like surf and then I'd come in and he would 
give me all his tips and tell me everything I'm doing wrong and like what to fix. So he, he said he was too old to like surf with me, but um, he, he'd watch me when I went out and keep an eye on me. Um, so yeah, I surfed the Outer Banks, which is like, like there are only big waves when there are hurricanes kind of thing going on. So I was out in like, not hurricanes, but some rougher water, not like the smoothest waves or the most predictable waves. Um, but it was, it was great. I had a lot of like anxiety as a kid. And once I started surfing those summers, like that really, really put me at peace. That seems a little bit like talking to you now, you seem like super chilled out from perfectly nice. You, you sound really relaxed and I, I can't imagine like an uptight kid. <laughs> Yeah, it was a lot of internal anxiety. Like, yeah, I grew up in, it was very conservative and like, just, you know, just kind of like that stereotypical high school experience that maybe everybody was anxious then. But yeah, I felt, I felt it. Yeah, it's one thing I have a, a little bit of fear with my daughter, because I've, I've got a daughter and a, and a little boy as well. And uh, she's, she's nearly 10 years old this year. And uh she has a, a few little problems at school, like where um, a lot of the girls that are in her school, they're very like alpha female. So they're always like bouncing off each other. And she's, she's, uh, she has her own ways of thinking. She's very sarcastic, like me and my wife. So that they, a lot of the other kids don't really understand sarcasm. I don't think, which <laughs> I don't know is a good thing or the bad thing, I guess. Uh, but I do like fear for her a little bit because you do hear like stories of like bullying and stuff like that. And, and, and girls are very different to boys. They're very more, um, what's the word, uh, mentally, as opposed to f doing physical things to each other that, you know, so uh, it's going to be an interesting few years, I think when she gets there. <laughs> yeah. The, have you gotten her in the water at all? She yeah. Surfing? She yeah, she does. Um, she gets very cold very quickly because here in the UK, the uh, the water temperature, even in the summer, is not particularly warm. Um, but I've got her into doing jujitsu for the last, well, since she was about four years old, so the last six years. So that's pretty cool. And I'm just starting my own little academy now as well. So she's going to start helping me train the other kids, which is uh, which is going to be good i think she's quite excited about that as well so it gives us something to focus on too that's awesome yeah i think yeah, having just something to get away i think is important for so many kids just you know even if it's hard at school like oh, okay i get to go to jujitsu every wednesday and like that's what i that's what i look forward to so that's really cool what are you uh what are your local breaks that you surf at, at the moment um, right now I live right by, uh, D street and moonlight in Encinitas. Um, so those are, that's my go-to, my favorite, honestly, like I just, when it's just three to four feet and just like nice and clean, that's, that's when I just go out for an hour in the morning before work and just like have a nice chill morning. What sort of boards are you riding at the moment? Are you a short body, a mid-length bird? you like to get on the log every now and again? Um, I've got a shortboard. I've got like a six two and it's it's got a lot of buoyancy, which is nice. Um, because I feel like I can take it out when it's big and still duck dive. I can take it out when it's a little smaller and still catch stuff. Um 
And then, yeah, I have like a, I have like a 6.0, but it's super thin. Like when I paddle on that thing, I feel like I'm doing five times the amount of work on my 6.2. So I've yeah. become, I've become the type of person that volume is your friend. So I've got, I've got a 6.4 and a 7.0. I call the 7.0 my point grinder, uh, purely for the fact that I'd probably never take it out anything above four foot because it'd just be a nightmare to duck dive. But I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for retro boards. So I've got all my boards are pretty much twin fins or single fins. Um, but yeah, I, I, I take those out. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't go back to surfing a short board, I don't think. Not like, you know, a Sharp Eye or, or a Pizel or something like that. Purely for the fact that I'm just too lazy to put the effort into paddling those things around, if I'm honest. Yeah, I've got to start switching. Actually, I have like a back injury and like, I think I need to get on a longboard and start doing the knee paddling, you know, otherwise I'm not going to be able to surf anymore at all in a couple of years. So yeah, I've got to, I've got to give up my ego and like get on, get on something else a little more often. I'm putting my therapy head on now. What, what's your back injury? Yeah. Uh, So I have like disc problems is actually from the coast guard just from like uh it happened the first time like carrying a lot of heavy stuff and running in the sand i don't know why we we're in the sand but we were um <laughs> and it just that was the first time it went out and it's it's like a l4 l5 disc degenerative disc and every year so at first i could go a year without anything happening and then i could go six months and now i've just it's gone out like twice in the last like three months so so here's the question do you do any strengthening exercises for your back and do you do any stretching i do i mean i I went to pete i went to our pt or physical therapy so yeah i do some strengthening stuff i mean i do it daily now like i am i'm like changing my lifestyle now um that I'm being forced to, <laughs> but, um, so yeah, I do the strengthening. I got, I don't know what you think about inversion tables that like flip you. So I got, I have one of those. I try to eat on that in the mornings. Um, and yeah, I, I, I just try not to be extreme. <laughs> I got an inversion. Uh, in fact, it's a really, it's a really random story. This, so I was listening to, um, a Joe Rogan podcast. This is probably about about five or six years ago, and I was getting some really bad back issues from uh, from doing jujitsu, but then surfing as well. So sort of like the the anterior pelvic tilt you get from surfing when your head's up and you're arching your back, but then the reverse of that <clears throat> when you're doing jujitsu, like you kind of bend your knees back towards your chest to to hold a guard up to you know to stop people coming jumping on top of you basically. And uh, yeah, I was getting some really bad back issues. So I thought, I'd, I, and I, I'll, I'll look at inversion tables. So I started going onto Google, onto Amazon and all that sort of thing. And then randomly, I was walking around the uh, the camp that I was the uh, uh, unit physical trainer, training instructor for. And uh, I went to into one of the accommodation buildings and in the very very bottom where the where the lockers were where people that um live outside of the camp and they come in there was just a random inversion table just just there and i was like oh i'll give that a go stuck my feet in it and turned upside down 
and uh, I got stuck. <laughs> I couldn't get my feet back up. I was upside down for about five minutes trying to figure this thing out. That's my biggest fear. I told a friend that was helping me put together, I was like, you know, if I get stuck, like I'm calling you. <laughs> yeah, they're really That's weird nice. contraptions as well. Yeah, it makes sense that like, if it if it if it's pulling your your discs apart, like it makes sense that it helps, I guess. Yeah, but then I started looking into a little bit more of the physical, uh, you know, the anatomy and physiology of, of the side of things, and realised that I've actually got weaknesses in certain areas of my of my body, and and that's why I was, you know, getting these problems in my lower back. So. I just started working on those and then it just went through a peak and trough of doing it, not doing it and getting better and not getting better. So I was the, my own worst enemy, if I'm honest. And you had to work? I, I kind of left the inversion table and I, and I went on to some other things. I'm kind of one of those people that likes to go through fads and uh, right, the inversion table was a fad. And then all of a sudden, you know, doing yoga twice a day was a fad and yeah, I think I think we're all like that sometimes. Let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the the Coast Guard training then, because you obviously have to be quite. It's quite physically demanding, and as I talked about before, the Guardian film said that it was. So, uh, could you uh, could you just elaborate on on that a little bit for me? Sure. Yeah. So the Ashton Kutchers of the Coast Guard do have their own special training that's very intense swim training. Um, so I did not go through that, but, um, there are, we, like after your boot camp, um, so I went to a heavy weather station and was on the boat crew and boarding team out there. So I was in Montauk, New York, um, which is close to where the guardian was probably based on, but, um, so yeah, we did some, we did the heavy weather training and just like the big seas, um, I was the boat crew. So me personally, I was not driving the boat which maybe was scarier because I had no control over how we were maneuvering and just had to trust in whoever was driving it. Um, so that was an adventure, you know, especially, you know, like a lot of the, the, the young men and women are, you know, they're like 22, 23, and you're just putting your life in their hands at some point. So um, that was cool. I didn't get, I only got seasick at night and like, when it was really foggy out, I almost got seasick. As long as I could see the big waves and like see and like how I was feeling, that didn't bother me. Um, I don't know, our boot camp was pretty basic, just like getting yelled at a lot, you know, rolling around in the dirt. Um, nothing, I was actually disappointed. I was hoping, me and my two friends, we were hoping that like we would be like in the ocean a lot, but um, we had to wait till we get to our, our first unit to get on the water. What sort of job role were you doing there? Uh, so I, in, in New York, it was a small boat station. So we did like search and rescue a lot. So uh, like the Hamptons, New York, it's like all the rich New Yorkers that have their yachts out there in the summertime. So in the summertime, we were like helping people who didn't know how to drive a boat, but had the money to purchase a boat. <laughs> um, in the winter, it was, it was actually more serious. So it was like the fishermen who are out there in the winter weather um, and might get stalled and like call us as a last resort. 
How did you find being a, a woman in that environment? Um, I talked to a, a girl the other day. Um, she started doing uh, jiu-jitsu or martial arts, um, you know, about 20 years ago. And she was finding that she was kind of quite isolated. She was like one of a, one of like maybe one or two that were, you know, doing that. And it was quite a male dominated environment. Um, how did you find it? Yeah, it was definitely male dominated. Um, that first unit was really rough. Um, cause the, it was just, the culture was really poor. So it was, there were no, I mean, part of the problem with like not having representation, there were no women in leadership positions. So when like somebody was inappropriate, I didn't really have anybody to like trade notes with, like be like, Hey, what should I do if somebody says this, or if somebody's bothering me, like, what is the line here? I don't want to be that, you know, I don't want to be the woman that's causing the problems, but at the same time, like, um, you know, you, you don't want to just let things go. Um, so I had, I didn't have anyone to like, to talk to really. And that was hard. Um, I, yeah, I did. I mean, it, I did have like a bad situation where, yeah, somebody was really bothering me and then I left and then I got a call a couple of years later and he had like assaulted somebody else at that unit. So um, it was, it was a pretty, it was like the worst of the worst kind of environment. Um, so yeah, that was really tough. Yeah, I can, I can imagine, especially coming from an environment where I did, it was very much, I was, I, I went through training and it was kind of like the last of the old school guys. So my, my experience of going something like that, you know, through recruit training and then passing out the other end was very much, you do as you're told. If you don't do it the way that I've told you to do it, you're wrong and you're never going to pass anything. So you just constantly shout at that all the time. And even from the point of coming out of the other, other end of, of, a, of a training environment and then going into, um, into, a, into a commando unit, it was, it was kind of still that mentality as well. You know, you, you're the bottom of the, sh you know, the ship pile. You're making cups of tea for, you know, the guys. Sometimes you're sorting their kit out. You're basically like the the bitch of the uh, mm -hmm. of, of the of that environment, but then it was kind of like the the more time that you did, it kind of you know there's that um, that hierarchy where you kind of write the next new guys come in, and then it kind of like staggers up through that. So um, in a way, I can I can kind of empathise with that a little bit, and uh, I don't think the environments are like that now because cultures have obviously changed over the years, but it. I don't know. In one way, it's kind of a character builder because you're you're socially and mentally having to to deal with that. But then on the flip side of it, you can argue that should you have to deal with that in the first place, it should be a nice environment to be able to to work in and, and socialize in. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think uh, the time you're in it makes a difference. You know, if you experience it and then you leave. Um, I think one thing in the military is you can get stuck in it. So 
you know, for me, if it was six months and then I was out, I'd be like, oh, that was terrible. But for like, I was stuck for like three years in like a constant state of like trying to protect myself and like trying to live normal life or like trying to like keep my sanity. Like that's, that's where surfing came in for me where I would just like, and as soon as we were out, I was in my wetsuit and I was gone. I was to the beach to just like de-stress. Did you surf around New York while you were there? I did. Yeah, I surfed year round there. So we had, we would go out and it would be snowing. Um, it was, it was actually, we actually got like the, like some real groundswell because of the angle that the, the Long Island uh, sticks out from. So um, it was, it's like one of the one, like a few places on our East coast that um, you get real swell and like predictable sets. Yeah, I've seen the, I've seen New Jersey absolutely firing uh, sometimes. Uh, a friend of mine actually, um, who I, who I did a podcast with, uh, he, he wrote a, a bunch of novels um, called Tom Anderson. And uh, he, you know, uh, writes extensively about surfing in Jersey. And, uh, but it's kind of very similar to like us because the New York sort of like line around the globe is, is pretty much level with the UK as well. So the swells that you would have got around about that time, you know, would have been pumping over to, to us. The only thing that we've got different is we've got a, a continental shelf that sometimes blocks the, the major swells coming into the country, which I don't think a lot of, a lot of people see. And that's why when you see in Europe, you see these massive waves coming through but they don't really hit us that much. But uh, that, that must have been pretty cool. I've been to New York a couple of times, actually, because I'd I'd like to surf there eventually one day, but depends whether I get back there or not. Yeah, it's, it's a cool spot. It's got like a good summer scene, too. When did you eventually go back over to the West Coast then? It took me a while to get back to the West Coast. Um, so I was in, my first unit was New York, then I did training in Virginia, and then my the last unit I was at was in Key West, Florida. Um, and then after that, I, I went and worked for the government in Washington, D.C. for five years. And then I finally came back out to see, just left that job and was just like, I need to, I need my Sandy, I need to surf again and came back out here for school and to work at the university. Let's talk a little bit about working for the government as well. So you were, were you an analyst for the year uh, for the CIA? Is that correct? Yeah, I was a, a targeting analyst for them. So how does somebody working for the Coast Guard end up doing a job like that? Did you get did you get approached by it? Or did you apply for it? I applied for it. So my Coast Guard school, like after I was done with the heavy weather station, I went to their Coast Guard Intel school. And my next unit was an Intel task force in Key West. So we had all the military branches and most of our Intel agencies all under one roof in that task force. So we did counter drugs stuff in the Caribbean. We actually, yeah, there's some UK ships out in the Caribbean too. We did um, like operations with. So that, that set me up. I had like some Intel training. Um, I had like the, the security clearance and then also just talking to the civilians that worked at that task force was really, I felt like really lucky to connect with them. And, you know, I got to talk to people in the FBI and like talk to people in all these other organizations and um, start thinking about 
yeah, what would be next for me and what was interesting, what cultures, you know, what, what cultures within the Intel community might be a good fit. It's quite strange because I, I was looking at this when I was doing a little bit of research on you and, uh, and I've thought it quite a lot is that within within the military or the US, you've got a lot of these sub branches of, of enforcement like the FBI, the CIA, the Secret Service, the DEA. And then there's all the other little ones that come with the police as well. And uh, I, I could I could never figure out who's got, you know, you watch the films about jurisdiction and stuff like that. And I'm like, I don't know how it, how would it even work? Like you literally, it's a bit of a crazy environment to have all these different people doing, you know, very similar jobs. It is. And that, that's where the task force helped where we had like, it was like, okay, finally, like one representative from every agency, like, let's get on the same page and like, let's not, you know, be on the same op or be, you know, recruiting the same person for, a diff for different agencies. So yeah, things like those, the task forces are, are so useful then when, when you're isolated in your one, you know, CIA or FBI building and like trying to figure out who to call at the other agency, it can, yeah, it can definitely be, be challenging. Did you have to go any for any through any formal training to, to do that job or was it just a case of because you were doing a, a, an analyst job with the Coast Guard, you kind of just slipped straight into it? Uh, yeah, I went through training once I once I got into the CIA. So um, I did a couple of different trainings. I did their um, analyst career training, which is uh, a certain amount of time. I Yeah, actually, I don't know how much I can say about that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> It was, yeah, it was, it was about thinking through all kinds of different content, like uh, things you're going to come across. So some of it was like very geopolitical. Some of it was, you know, counterterrorism. Um, so it was then at the end, there's like a, you know, a, a crisis where you're doing analysis in, in a, you know, a limited amount of time and trying to write things up and pass it on. Um so yeah, they tried to expose you to a lot of different scenarios you might run into and just push you to work harder and more quickly under stress. Did you enjoy doing it? Yeah, I, I loved it. Um, yeah, I loved the analysts. I loved like, you know, when everyone goes through like a similar training, like you, you kind of, you connect with people and you're on the same team, you know, through a crisis. So um yeah it was, it was really satisfying and like just a good good group of people to work with what was the point where you kind of decided that you'd had enough of doing all of this because you mentioned you went from there and then you went back over to the west coast i can't imagine being in an environment where i haven't i haven't been by the ocean because you know surfing i mean i've been surfing now for what 26 27 years and it's always been my my mental outlet. Um, I've only just come to realize that maybe in the last five to six years. Um, it's been my passion for a very, very long time, you know, since I was 14 years old. So not being by the sea and you can definitely tell when I haven't been in the ocean because hence the title of the podcast, I become very grumpy and antisocial and probably more sarcastic than I usually am. Uh, did, did you find yourself falling into that little rat hole? Yeah, I think that happened and I didn't realize it. Um, 
like I, I definitely every year every new year's I would go on a surf trip and that was like my my cleanse was to just take two weeks in the winter and new year's and just be out of the country be by the water um I don't know when I realized that wasn't enough I think you know I took a vacation I took a trip out actually not even to surf but just to the mountains out west and went on like a long hike by myself and like realized like wow like I need to be in nature not, you know not even just surfing but like I I can't be in the city I can't be in a you know a vaulted building you know for eight hours a day um so I think like just taking those trips and realizing you know I was super lucky to be able to take those trips but um I was I was really losing like myself I was losing like my soul almost it's like once I started surfing, I was like, oh, wait, who is that person who's sitting in traffic and like, you know, just not very happy with anything. Where were you go to locations where you went uh, abroad surfing? Uh, I went to Nicaragua, which was super cool. Um, that was great. That was like a women's surf retreat. So it was all women and it was just yeah it was a great little retreat uh and then Barbados that was great like the east coast of our Barbados is on the Atlantic so that got some waves um went to Puerto Rico a little bit that was that was nice to be in the warm waters um and I made out to Hawaii once too so if any of the big bikes there or did you just kind of do what I did again. Yeah, yeah I, a surf pipe at two to three foot and say I've done it. <laughs> yeah, my, my claim to fame is I did surf pipeline, um, but it was in August, so it was just like three, four, five feet. No one else was out there, really, just a couple people. But I did. I can say I surfed pipeline. You ever thought about going down to Mexico? Oh yeah, I, actually, yeah. I, uh, now that I'm in San Diego, I, I go I go to Mexico all the time. We can drive over. Um, so yeah, I found a really great, like, just nice, slow, mellow break down there, and took a bunch of friends down there for New Year's. Um, so yeah, Mexico is a great, great getaway as well. Are you not one of these pesty surf fanatics like I am, where you watch the all the WSL events that come on all the time? When I can catch them, yeah, if I can stream something or like catch it on YouTube later, I'll have that on the, in the background when I'm at home for sure. Well, I was, I was sat at home, well, it's two o'clock in the morning here, we're at six in the evening for you at the moment. And around uh, about your time yesterday evening, go back in time, um, I didn't even realize that the, uh, the, the Mio uh, uh, Portugal Pro was on. And I turned it on. I was like, "How am I missing this?" Because I, I, I always stick it on in the background, whether it's doing the kids' dinner or. To be fair, the majority of the events are like uh, like late evening or like through the night, especially like in Hawaii because um, Pacific Standard Time's what eight eight hours behind, or I don't know, is Hawaii time a little bit further? Yeah, so the early, evening's normally yeah. the morning, isn't it? So, yeah, I, I always love watching those events. Some people think I'm a bit mental just watching somebody surfing for, you know, eight, nine hours straight, but I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, we did. We watched um, this New Year's, my friends binged on all the surf documentaries we could find. So we watched like the Garrett McNamara documentary 
And like, then we were like, we felt so bad for Cotty because he never won in that documentary. And then I saw he was just on the big waves like a week ago in Portugal. And we're like, come on, Cotty, you got it. So like, it's super fun to connect with like their stories too and where they're at. I was trying to tap him up because I'm going out to Portugal next week. So I thought I might, you know, catch the last couple of days of the, uh, of the WSL event, but I think it's going to be finished by the time I get there. But there's some there's some massive swell coming through there uh, to Nazare next uh, in the next couple of weeks, which I don't think it bodes too well for me because a lot of the breaks down there are facing to the west. So uh, I'm sure I'll find some sheltered spots. But yeah, I was trying to I was trying to tap Cotty up to see if um, he was going to be about because uh, he's I went to one of the lads that I took through recruit training. Um, Cotty was his best man, and that's kind of like ha- how I met him. It's all very strange. All the community in the UK is very like a, a, a small, close knit of people because there's not that many people really. Um, but it is a super nice guy. And you wouldn't, if you met him in the street, you wouldn't expect him to be doing things like that. It's a bit nuts, really. Yeah, he seemed really low key. I kind of mega big time myself then, throwing out an Andrew Cotton big name out there, didn't I? I was like, oh, we're a superstar. <laughs> <laughs> You wrote a book called Fairly Smooth Operator, My Life Occasionally at the Tip of the Spear. What inspired you to, to do that? I started I started taking um, some stand-up comedy classes through the Armed Service Arts Partnership, which is like a nonprofit that puts on arts classes for veterans. And so I, I put a, together like a five-minute comedy set with them and then like realized they were just there was more to those, those jokes and more like more behind the jokes that I wanted to tell. And so I started writing out like the full story for each of those punchlines and those jokes, and then just kept writing. I think I was on a, I was in Ecuador actually on a surf trip and like we'd surf and then I'd go back and write at the hostel and just that was, that was it surfing and writing. And it was, it was really cool to process to everything that I'd been through. Um, and then also having it published and then reading it again and being like, and just reprocessing and seeing how things connect has been really fascinating too. How did you find the whole experience of, of, of writing your memoirs down? It was, it was great to write it. And I was super nervous about publishing it. Like at the last minute, I almost just pulled out and was like, I don't know if I want everyone to read everything. Um, but then I just went through it anyways, and I've gotten some really good feedback. And, you know, it's a woman's story about the military and the CIA, which is unique. Um, so I've actually, like, I'm so thankful for the feedback that made me feel like, okay, like, this isn't just me being vulnerable. This is helpful to, for other women to to know that, that other people have gone through similar experiences. Did you feel like it? you almost subconsciously had to put it out because of the you know, the experiences that you'd been through and, you know, you felt, you felt like you could, you could share that or was it just something you kind of went, nah, I'll write it. Never really written anything before like that. Let's just see where it goes. Yeah. I think it was more see where it goes. And I really like using humor to communicate. I mean, I think it's like sarcasm where like sometimes it's just an easier thing to hear than the truth. Um, so or like the straight, cold, hard truth. <laughs> so yeah, I, I really like 
writing in a, in a comedic style. So I was like, you know, let me see what are some other stories. And once I thought of one story, then I'm like, oh yeah, and then that happened. So actually, writing made me remember more stuff that you know I'd experienced and that affected me, but wasn't in like my immediate conscious memory. So that was pretty cool. Did you have any advice on writing a book, or did you just kind of just write your experiences down through doing the comedy? and and then just kind of pulled it all together yeah the comedy definitely helped me shape shape it and then I worked with an editor once I had like a lot of stuff down and he helped me point out like some of the style that was working some of the things that maybe weren't working and then I you know went back and wrote for another six months after getting the feedback from the editor um but yeah I also just I use my honestly my analysis style where like I just like tell me what's important like don't tell me a bunch of descriptions like what kind of boat it was and like all the you know like put me in the location and then like tell me the story so it's like a very like quick read it's like written the way I would want to read something I read a, a Jerry Lopez book a few years ago it's actually still sat on the shelf upstairs in my in my bedroom and it wasn't really like a, an autobiography of his life it was like a bunch of stories that he'd experienced over like his lifetime and he's just pulled the most prolific ones out of there and, and put them together in you know in words and, and put them into a book and I think sometimes having having that kind of style is a little bit different than you know I was born on this this such and such a date and I did this at school and I did this because sometimes you know an autobiography can get quite laborious uh, and predictable as well because people have their own lives and okay yeah this there might be some horrific things that maybe have shaped them at a young age but it generally follows the same sort of you know the same sort of like storyline all the way through shaking something up like you have has probably done the book a little bit more good than you know just writing war and peace really I mean what do you think yeah I think so and I think some of the feedback I got from just one person was a little more critical. And at one point it, you know, like, I don't know, I like take criticism hard, but or I like really like want to incorporate it, you know, like I'm an analyst, like tell me what's wrong and I'll fix it. You know? Um, and then the comment was like, Oh, it, I felt like it was jumpy. And I was like, okay, let me, let me think about this. And I was like, you know, what? it's jumpy because my life was jumpy. So the first chapter is boot camp. The second chapter, or no, the first chapter is uh, like a little bit about college, which setting up like the recruiter and how I got into the Coast Guard. And then the second chapter is boot camp, and it's like, well, you went college to boot camp. What? How did you? And I was like, well, that's what that's what happened in my life. One minute I was in college, the next minute I'm in like this crazy boot camp. So I think it 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 represented like how I felt in the whole process, which was like just being in one place and then just being pulled away. And now I'm in this other place. So um, I think it kind of reflects the the life there getting moved around all the time. Well, not necessarily that. It's also your memory as well, though, isn't it? Because, you know, you don't, when you go back and you think about the past, you don't think about, you know, when you were like one, two, three, four, five years old, you never really remember those sort of things. And, you know, with, with your with your mind being the way it is with your long-term and short-term memory, all the little bits of things that probably were quite important during those age times. 
are not so important so you kind of forget them about them so if you think about it really your your brain or the way that your memory works is is in big blocks anyway and the things that you remember the most will come to your your mind first when you're thinking about them is probably how how you set that set that out maybe i, I don't know <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know but yeah I, i've i've gotten other good feedback and you know made people can make sense of it and i think a lot some of it's jumpy too because i can't talk about everything you know in my job so i'm like sorry that that might not be in the right order but i'm just gonna have to accept that because i can't like write all the details in so um let's talk a little bit about comedy so you said that you you did an apprenticeship with the armed services arts partnership no wrong uh yeah it was the armed services arts partnership comedy boot camp how did that come about and how did you get into it you know i don't remember exactly how i found out about them i think i was living in dc and i would walk to georgetown like a little area with shops and everything and i think it must have been like one of their flyers or events they had an open mic night at one of the bakeries and I was like, you know what? I watched a comedy show like a few weeks ago and just really connected with it. And it was thought I, I was like, I could do something like that. And so I wrote out just, you know, something I thought was funny. And I went to the open mic and I did it. And it was just like a great community. People were really nice. And like um, whoever was there representing the organization was like, you should sign up for a class. Like you might want the storytelling. And I was like, no, I want to do comedy. Um, and then so I signed up and they do an eight-week comedy classes like once a week. And man, I just I it was just such a good time. It was so fun and such a good community. How did you find getting up on stage to try and make people laugh? That was nerve-wracking. Like, yeah, the last thing you do is they put together um an event for you. So you're on stage with the bright lights and the crowd. Um so yeah, I definitely, I was super nervous, but like I, you practice so much. Like I practiced so much. I thought when afterwards, I thought I had said a joke wrong, but like, it was just, it was, I mean, I guess it's like your military training. Like you're so rehearsed, even when you, if you blacked out, it's just, you're going to do go through the motions. So I felt like I was so prepared. Like I just, I just said it and I did it. And like, that was it. Like, and then once I started doing it a little bit more, I could be conscious and actually like be on my feet and be a little more, you know, um, like not improvised, but like be a little more, you know, in, in tune with the audience's reactions. I take it you didn't feel that was going to be another career path for you then? <laughs> um, I'm teaching classes for ASAP. Um, I'm too nervous. Like I'm, I'm too nervous I'm an artist in other ways like I paint and I write but like I'm too nervous to put you know, my you know rent's pretty expensive in California so like I, I've chosen it to be like a hobby that I'll fit in as much as possible. How have you found art help you with the background activities that you've you've been doing because I, uh, I've had to look at some of your drawings or your art and through Instagram because you've got a couple of Instagram pages there and I think you've got your own website set up as well to to sell paintings as well. Have you always been artistically minded and, and it, or is it just something that you wanted to do, you know, now you're at this part in your life? Yeah, I've always been into art. Like I was in the art club in high school and then I took 
when, for my undergrad work, I just, I took as many art classes as I could just because I just enjoyed it so much. Um, and then, yeah, when I was in the Coast Guard at that unit, that was really tough. I, after I would surf, I would go buy a canvas and it would be winter and I would just, you know, I would just paint. I was out there like by myself in Montauk. So, um, yeah, it was, it was kind of like another outlet for me. Um, and just, you know, sometimes I start a painting and I think it's going to be one thing and then I just completely change it. So it's also just like a big problem solving project for me that just puts me in the moment. So I love that. Yeah, I, I kind of, I kind of go searching every now and again for like surf art and, uh, and ocean art and stuff. And there, there is some, um, there are some really, really cool bits out there. And I've had a little look at yours and especially like your, your, your uh, surfing uh, you know, it's quite, quite picturesque. And I always thought that trying to draw a wave, something that is continuously moving and at the molecular level, level as well, nothing ever really looks the same. Sometimes that can be quite difficult to, to grasp, let alone put down onto paper. I mean, how did you find, or how do you find that drawing water itself? Yeah, I thought water's, yeah, like you said, it's so challenging. And I can see when I look way back at my art from like 2010, and I can see how it's evolved since then and how actually just looking at how I would draw waves has like changed over time. Um, so I think, yeah, you can, like I've tried to do like realistic and then sometimes it's like more cartoony and then Right now I'm kind of in just more of like an abstract representation of like how it feels to be in the water almost. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's one of the most challenging things and it's, yeah, it's so interesting to see how different people like put it onto paper. Have you got any good swell running at the moment? We, uh, it was kind of onshore winds this morning. Um, but yeah, I think we should have some good stuff next week. Um, I was kind of still recovering this week from some injuries. So I missed our, our swell this week, but um, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting my morning sessions back going again. Are you able to do that, uh, get into the water before going to work and after work, or is it, are you more of a weekend warrior? I have turned into a bit of a weekend warrior, but I am going to try to fit in, like, I think Wednesday is going to be my morning surf day where I just, if it's decent, I get in and like, if I'm a little late to work, that's okay. I'll just stay late. Um, and then, yeah, the sun sets so early right now, but once I think summertime, I'll, maybe I'll switch to like some evening sessions and like stop on the way home. Have you got a good crew of people that you go surfing with, or are you like me and you just end up going on your own most of the time anyway? Yeah, I go on my own during the week, but I've been so lucky. I have a lovely group of uh, lady friends uh, and, you know, actually I found another Coast Guard person. We had gone surfing like four or five times before we both mentioned that we were in the Coast Guard. So um, she's great. She's connected me with some other surfers around the area. So we, we've got a pretty good crew, like a weekend crew, which is really nice. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, that. Uh... I for years I because I, I grew up in the Midlands of the UK 
um, around uh, around the Birmingham area. So when I, when I eventually joined the military, um, there weren't really that many people that surfed and especially when I was like a teenager as well you know everybody was into like football and the mainstream sports you know football rugby I played those sort of things but you know I was never really into them so I had like pictures of Kelly Slater and Rob Machado and Luke Egan and, and people like that all over my uh, my school folders as you do and people like that who are they and uh, it was just something something personal to me really and uh, and as I've gone through sort of like my, my adult life, it's kind of, it, it's been quite difficult to find people to go with. So like I, I said, you know, at the start of this, it, it's almost become sort of like my outlet and my um, my meditating sort of thing that I do. Uh, I do have, you know, two or three people uh, locally around here that, that, uh, that I know, but you know, it's one of those things where life gets in the way, they've got their own families and stuff and trying to tie those guys together to get away sometimes can be uh, can be quite difficult. But but when it is, it you know, it's it, it's pretty cool. So I, I can't say that I have like a massive crew of people that I go with, but you know, at least having a couple of people to share some waves with is pretty cool. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, even just, I like just sometimes going to the same break. And even if I don't know the people, I see the same people and it feels like we're in a little crew. Um, but yeah, life definitely, I feel like, yeah, every year, you know, somebody gets married or has a kid and suddenly we're like, oh, it's a little harder to get in the water at the same time. So yeah, I totally understand that. Well, Caroline, we've been going for about an hour now. So I'm going to tie this up with a quick fire round. Um, about surfing, believe it or not. So the first question is, if you had one surfboard fin setup for the rest of your life, would it be twin fin, thruster, single fin, quad, bonza, or finless? Oh my gosh, I don't know fins. Um, I'll say thruster, because that sounds cool. <laughs> your favorite surf wax? I'm a sucker for sticky bumps. Good choice. I like sticky bumps too. Your favorite surfer and why? Oh, I love Paige Alms. She does the big wave surfing because she's just super humble and she found her own path to the big waves. She kind of navigated out of the competitions and the, you know, quick cutting stuff and, and like just found her own spot in the surf world. And I thought that was really cool the best and the worst person to share a lineup with oh no okay the best is when it's like your friends and everybody's just like when it's just the party wave where it's just like a sunday morning and you're the only ones out there and it's just like let's all just go <laughs> um the worst person to share a wave with i mean just the person that takes a wave, then gets out, then takes a wave, then, you know, like take a break, let someone else get a wave. That's, that's how I feel. And the last question is if you had one surf spot to surf for the rest of your life, what would that be? Or where would that be? One surf spot. I really like my little spot, not my little spot. It's on Surfline, but this spot in Mexico that is more of a local spot. It's a slow long border kind of spot and I would surf that every day if I could 
Caroline Walsh, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today and I've appreciated your stories. Thanks so much for having me. This has been fun. And that's it. If you like the podcast, please like, share and subscribe on your podcast provider and leave me a little review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.